one of the verses in that song, I just want you to remember as we work through the message today, mercy and goodness, give me assurance that I will see his glory face to face. We have been in a series where we are looking at what's the church? I would probably argue that many of us find ourselves thinking about that, not just preachers, but thinking about that on a daily basis. What is the church? The church, we know, we say it, is not the building, that we, we the people, are the church. We're the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so what's our purpose? What's our mission? I was sitting the other night, as I have done on occasion when I have the opportunity to listen uh, to the nightly presidential conference on the coronavirus. And I'm not trying to go political with you. I'm just trying to say I was watching the other night and there was, there was a change. There was a change in his demeanor. There was a change in the way and the tone that most of the people who were coming to the microphone were talking. They began to use language that we need to prepare as a country for difficult weeks ahead that we need to prepare for for death and I watched that and I was thinking about the tone they were using and then as you've watched over the last couple of days and numbers continue to escalate rise each and every day and I think about Preaching to you, the church, this message about what the church is. And it being Palm Sunday, and all of that kind of went through my head this week. And one day in my prayers, I felt as though the Holy Spirit kind of nudged a question in my mind. Which was, what do you want Lydia to remember from this moment in history? What do, I, what do I want my daughter to see in Claire and me as we journey through the pandemic? What, what do I want her to know about God and Jesus and faith? I mean, the pandemic certainly is not just simply a time for, for us to binge watch Tiger King on Netflix uh, or to cook more baked cookies than I certainly need uh, or that anyone probably needs. It's a time for, for her to see us in our resolve of faith, uh, our belief in Jesus and our ability to want to help our neighbors. And so I want to take a break for a moment from the book of Acts in the early church. And I want us to look at the palms Sunday story, because as I read it this week over and over, something kind of hit me different this year than previous years. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 28. Whatever translation you are reading is fine. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. 
After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Palm Sunday is this time in the life of the, the year that we traditionally mark the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on Holy Week, the last week of his life. And I believe that this passage gives us great insight to Jesus. In verse 38, it says, this is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the, the one that Israel has been waiting on. This is the one who was the fulfillment of all of God's promises but it also comes with great misunderstanding because their expectation was that Jesus would come in with, with power in a, in a political way. That, that he would take over the throne for Israel. But it wasn't going to be that way. He would take his throne, but he would do it through voluntary suffering and death and resurrection. Now, we've been looking at Acts, and feel free later to go back if you want to. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his first sermon, he ends it with this Jesus, this Jesus that Luke is describing, this Jesus God raised up and he's exalted at the right hand of God. When we say the Apostles' Creed at the end of the message today, we state that we believe that today Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul says that he is now king over and over again to the church in Corinth and Ephesus. So the inside of Palm Sunday gives us great joy, but the misunderstanding brings about destruction, the murder of Jesus a few days later, and the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years later. I want you to understand Jesus saw all of this coming. I want us to focus on his response to the blindness and the hostility that he was about to meet in Jerusalem. The crowds were crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in the very next verse, some of the Pharisees say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus knew that the Pharisees, they were going to get the upper hand. He knew that people were going to be fickle and fall away. 
Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected and he was going to be crucified. He knew that within a generation, the city was going to be annihilated. Look, if you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 43. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God had come to them in his son, Jesus Christ, but they did not know the time of God's coming to them. They stumbled. The builders rejected the stone and threw it away. Jesus saw this sin. He saw this rebellion. He saw this blindness coming. In verse 41, he says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over the blindness and this impending misery. How would you describe those tears? My prayer for all of us is that we read this story that we we come to a place that we are in awe of who Jesus is. And as we watch, that we have a desire, we grow in our desire to be more like him. What, what makes him so admirable in this moment, so different than other people? What sets him apart? What sets him unique and matchless? I think part of it is that he unites qualities that in most people you're seen contrary to each other. Here in this passage, I believe that we see Jesus as sovereign, but also as merciful. Perfect proportion of sovereignty and mercy. No other religious or political contender can even come close to this. In verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. I mean, Jesus had made a name for himself. Last week, when we looked at one of the stories in Acts, we saw him call out uh, a, a spirit. We have seen him uh, feed multitudes with just a few loaves and a few fish. We've seen him heal the lame and to, to give sight to the blind. We've seen him walk on water and calm the seas. He entered Jerusalem. They knew that nothing could stop him. If he wanted to, he could say to Pilate, be gone, and Pilate would be gone. The Romans would be scattered And so the crowds cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus was king and he wasn't just any king. He was the one who was sent and appointed by God. They knew in that moment how Isaiah had described him. Listen to this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice And with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a never-ending kingdom backed by the zeal of Almighty God. He was the king of the universe and today rules over the nations and the galaxies. And so when the Pharisees tell him to make the people stop praising him, listen to how he replies again in verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Why? Listen to me. Because he will be praised. The universe is created to praise Jesus. 
And therefore, people, if we don't do it, even in this moment, if we don't do it, he will see to it that the rocks do it. He will see to it that the rocks cry out. In other words, he is sovereign. He is powerful. He will get the means that he will get. If we refuse to praise, he will have the rocks cry out. They will get the joy. And so some people, they hear this and they think, well, if he cries... If he's tearful over Jerusalem, that somehow that is a sign that he is not sovereign. He is not powerful. That somehow what he wills is not coming to pass. They're going to reject him. They're going to resist him. They're going to hand him over to be crucified. And so his purpose for them has failed. But there's something that's just not quite, to this, quite right to this objection for me. Because he can make praise come from rocks. So certainly he can do that to hard hearted hearts in Jerusalem see all of this rejection all this persecution is not the failure of Jesus's plan but the fulfillment of it I want you to listen to what it says in Luke 18 just a few verses back it says and taking the 12 he said to them see we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written everything that is planned about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. All of the betrayal, all of the mockery, all of the shame, all of that was part of God's plan for Jesus. But what I want you to see is this sovereign Christ weeps over the hard-hearted hearts of Jerusalem. And so I want you to see his tears, not his weakness, but his sovereign mercy. And therefore, his power becomes even more admirable, more beautiful. It's the reason that we can say he is merciful and mighty, that he is powerful and yet merciful. And so I think that we in this moment need to look at his mercy and pray for God to Move us. If I were to say what I hope that my daughter sees in this moment is that she sees the church moving towards compassion the way Christ moved towards compassion. Jesus in this story is tenderly moved. He feels the sorrow of the situation. And like I said, it doesn't mean that he's weak or lost power. It just means that he is more complex Than we even thought. He really feels the sorrow. I have no doubt that he has a deep inner peace that God is in control. He has a deep inner peace that God's purpose will come to pass. But that doesn't mean that you can't cry. In fact, I would appeal to you. Pray for God to give you tears. Because there is so much pain. There is so much pain in our world. But there is so much pain in our community. Pray that God would help you to be tenderly moved. I hear stories on the news, but folks, they're closer to home. I think about Eldora in the hospital and her family, and this has nothing to do with the virus, but her family is not able to go and see her because of the virus. And so she is alone in a hospital and she just represents so many people. Who are by themselves. We hear stories of people giving birth 
and not being able to have their family with them. We hear stories of healthcare workers who are frightened to go to work. I read one story where one healthcare worker was living in her attic because that way she could protect her family. She would go to work and she would come home and she would sleep in her attic so that she would not expose her family. There's so much pain. Move and pray for God to move you tenderly. I mean, the reality is, and I don't mean to sound harsh and that's not my intent, but if you haven't shed tears for someone else, maybe you're looking too much at yourself. Pray for God to move us as individuals and pray for God to move us as a community of faith tenderly towards other people's pain. And to do that, I understand that Jesus' mercy was self-denying. Not ultimately, there was great reward in the long run, but in the short run, there was pain. I mean, that's this text. He's moving towards Jerusalem. He's moving to die. He knows where he's going. That's the way that we follow Jesus. We see need. Jesus saw the need of the, the sin and the rebellion of the people in Jerusalem. We move with Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever we can do towards need. We find ourselves in a moment. The way I describe it to myself is that we started Lent and we've kind of, we've been stuck on Ash Wednesday. Constantly reminding ourselves of mortality. And we are being asked to give up something very precious to us. It's the purpose of Lent. Self-denial, self-sacrifice of our time together. I invite you, church, to embrace it. As we move towards need. Need of protecting others. Need of making sure that others are safe in their homes. And I would also invite you to think about mercy as helpful. Jesus was dying in a place so that we could be forgiven and offered eternal life. And so it was helpful. And so I invite you to think about who are you helping? Who are you helping this Lenten season? I think, do you think it's odd that the culmination of our pain and suffering may peak around Easter. Do we have the resolve and the faith in Jesus Christ that he truly sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty? But also, do we pray for God to move us as people of mercy? It's a beautiful tension that exists. That's what I hope my daughter sees. I hope she sees a mother and a father who believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the eternal kingdom, but also are moved to share and help others that we embrace the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come in this moment as your church. Lord, help us to believe in this moment. Help us to know and trust and have that inner sense of peace that you offer to us. That today you sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
that because of your mercy and your goodness that we have assurance that we will see your glory face to face. But help us in this moment, O oh God, to also be moved as your people towards compassion, mercy. Help us to think about ways that we can be creative in the way that we help our neighbor. Love each other. Share your gospel with everybody, whether that's online, in our neighborhoods, and in our families. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we have the opportunity to celebrate communion. And I just invite you this morning, if you haven't got your elements already together, I invite you to go ahead and do that as we, as we pray. And I thought about how we can work through this communion liturgy together uh, because it is communal. And so I want us to, to try to find a way for us to be able to pray and be a part of each other. And so, Christ invites to his table those who love him, who earnestly seek after him, and seek to live in peace with one another. And so what I want to invite you to do as we pray this part of the liturgy is pick a line and use that as part of your confession because we are going to confess before God and one another. And I will work with you and Pastor Dwayne, who is online with you, he will assist as well. But we confess that we have not loved God with our whole heart. That may be a line that we put in. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. And again, I invite you to pick one of those lines. And it's okay if everybody's picking the same line. It is us confessing together again. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Even as you continue in your comment section, I would invite you to hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I invite you in this moment to put in your comment section praises. What are you praising God for? What are you giving thanks for? This is us as a community of faith crying out to God. What are our praises this morning? 
Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took the bread, he gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice. In union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim, together we proclaim the mystery of faith. I invite you wherever you are to say these words. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pray with me. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Gathered through this beautiful technology that we have. Gathered together in homes all over. We pray, O oh God, that you bless these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in this moment with Christ. Make us one in this moment with each other. Make us one in this moment in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And now, with the confidence of children of God, would you join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.